0: I think we just want people to remember that yeah, their small decisions can have a massive impact and that their barista attending them their coffee is um, as close to them as the farmer who's picked it off the, the coffee tree. Um, and that there's no separation in how um, intimate those relationships are. It's just that it's happening thousands of kilometers away in another country that you've probably never been to and probably never will.
1: There are so many ways we could start talking about Common Folk, the business by Sam Keck. Uh, but Sam, I want to start by saying the word Rolex. Let's just jump in there. <laughs> Welcome to Daddy Linen and let's get going.
0: Thank you. Uh, great to be here and I'm um, happy to talk about Rolexes. They, uh, they're, they're very important to us at Common Folk.
1: <laughs> Tell me more.
0: Um, So I'm not talking about the exclusive watch brand that I I assume it's Swiss because I think they're the ones who make all the great watches. I'm actually talking about what was a mistranslation of um, a classic Ugandan breakfast. Um, And so I found out about the Rolex on my first trip to Uganda back in 2015 um, and realized that not only was it delicious, but it had nothing to do with a watch. It was actually uh, rolled eggs. So it's basically an omelette. Um, wrapped up in a fresh uh, chipati. Um, and I think someone had been um, uh, listening to the street vendors selling them in the morning because it's the go-to breakfast, calling out, uh, you know, come get your Rolex. They <laughs> thought they were saying Rolex, but I was saying rolled eggs. Um, And so we've got them on the menu at our uh, venues now um, in honour of our partnerships with um, with Ugandan Coffee Farmers, um, because that's what you'd be eating if you were a Ugandan coffee farmer heading up into the hills to do a day of hard picking.
1: Love that. So tell me why it's important to you that you do, I suppose, open up this connection between people drinking their coffee in Melbourne or the Mornington Peninsula and coffee farmers in places, you know, very far away, places that don't enter the consciousness of of most people in Australia, I would, I would hazard to say.
0: Um, well, you almost nailed it. It's, it's because, um, you know, these farmers from our perspective, um, you know, as coffee roasters and then coffee brewers um, are the lifeblood of our business and they are our closest sort of allies, colleagues, you know, and friends, but it's kind of, uh, they're kind of um, uh, missed in the equation a lot of the time with the exception of maybe a pretty photo, you know, to sell a bag of their coffee on the website. But um Actually, actually, um, the reality of it is that their life is, um, you know, far more complex and, 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 and I guess almost like brutally, you know, difficult than than a couple of snapshots. And so we kind of wanted to be able to bridge that gap and introduce some of what they actually do with, um, and then the way they actually live with. Pardon me. With um, with with their story, um, and so enjoying the same breakfast that they might enjoy um, before they head out to work was just part of that, um, and it's a way for us to introduce the idea that these are real people with with a, a real culture and real habits, um, and a, and real needs, um, and that's just one one part in that, um, and and, and because we work with them um, year in year out, um, we want to make sure that our our customers and the people who choose to kind of work with common folk get to learn a little bit about their journey and their story um, in the process
1: so sam let's step back a bit from that delicious rolled egg breakfast um, tell us the common folk story how did you get started
0: um, well um like you know most people who work in coffee um i started off by getting my degree in marine zoology at melbourne uni <laughs> perfect <laughs> um, which uh, um but funnily enough that that was almost key to me getting into coffee cause while I was at university I um I was working as a barista to kinda of pay my way, you know, and uh, you know, be able to buy beer. Um, and uh, just opposite Melbourne Uni is a fantastic little roastery called Seven Seeds. Don't know if you've heard of it. Um, ha, led by the um, uh, Mark Dunne and Bridget Moore, and they're incredibly inspiring people. I think they do a lot of the same things that we, you know, try and do. Um, and I just sit in there doing my homework, tapping away, writing my scientific papers on my laptop, whilst enjoying, you know, delicious you know, like um, ethically sourced um, specialty coffee and realized that my baristering that I was doing back at a cafe down in the, on the Mornington Peninsula, you know, could be so much more than what it was. Um, and so I kind of got obsessed with specialty coffee um, and the providence of the product and um, where you source coffee from and how each different country and origin um, and, and farming process, you know, influences the flavor. Um, and so I approached it very much from a perspective of being a foodie and, and wanting to understand how I could control and 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 get the results in the cup that I wanted and I soon you know learned more and more about the actual ethics of coffee trading and how the entire system is kind of rigged against you know the most vulnerable people at either end of the the value chain Um, and so decided I'd work full-time in hospitality once I finished my bachelor's rather than going straight into doing a master's or a PhD to see if I could hack hospitality um, full-time absolutely loved it um, and was lucky enough to find a couple of people who shared my passion um, who were like well why don't we do our own thing um why don't we set up a coffee roastery and, and a cafe um and so uh one thing led to another and um and we found a big shed in the industrial estate of mornington um and inspired i guess by the guys at, at mornington brewery i um, now called tar barrel brewery um who'd done it just before us a couple of years before us and um, we figured you know what it works for them it works for beer why can't it work for coffee um and by the time we'd signed the lease <laughs> it was too late we kind of had to sort the fit out out and, um, and get the council permits um, and open the doors. Um, and I think from day one we were kind of blown away with the amount of people who were prepared to drag themselves out into essentially the middle of nowhere to have a cup of coffee uh, just because um, it was roasted and brewed a little bit differently to what they expected. Um, and we've grown from there to, you know, 10 years later in January next year um, with, you know, like um, – you know, I guess an established um, coffee importing and roasting business um, with like dozens and dozens of um, supporting venues as well as our own.
1: Yeah, wow. Amazing potted history, Sam. And I love the zoology angle. Um, You know, you you obviously had that example of Seven Seeds ethically sourcing their coffee. What was it like stepping onto that journey yourself? Like what were the challenges?
0: Um, I think... The coffee industry, and I think a lot of people who work in specialty coffee in Melbourne know this, Um, and it's a bit of a dirty secret, but I don't think it's so much of a secret anymore is that, you know, all the little small roasters always say, oh, we're doing direct trade, whatever the hell that means, and we're doing all this, like, kind of work with our farmers, and they're just – like I mean they're just lying (laughs) they're not doing any of that they're just buying from the same importers everyone else buys from which is weird because there's nothing wrong with that necessarily there's a lot of really good importers who are actually doing the heavy lifting in making sure that farmers are paid a fair and equitable price for their product Um, although there can always be more work done in that space Um, but I thought that it was going to be really easy to just like you know uh, I guess call up a coffee farmer and arrange to buy some of their coffee but um, it's actually really difficult. The, the process of um, exporting coffee and importing it into another country, um, it takes a lot of skill that most little small business owners and coffee roasters probably don't have. Um, and so that was the first hurdle. And initially we just bought um, a few bags of coffee from um, some great importers. So, you know, Melbourne Coffee Merchants was one, I think Cafe Imports, um, First Crop Coffee, you know, great little importers who, who are trying to do good stuff at Origin um, and ha- we challenged that we weren't really direct trading. Like, yeah, we knew who the farmers were, but we didn't have a relationship with them. Um, and that was kind of counter to what we wanted to do. The whole point was that we were going to be bringing in coffee ourselves, um, but, you know, like we, we didn't even know how much coffee we'd go through. So as we built the business up, um, we had a real focus on trying to create and conjure genuine partnerships with farms that we would then buy. From regularly, um, because that's how most of our other supply suppliers would work. If we had a supplier, we wanted to celebrate. You know, they were our supplier. You know, sort of three hundred and sixty-five days a year, or at least whenever their product was available. Um, it was weird to us that a lot of coffee roasters were kind of just chopping and changing and buying whatever coffee was available spot in country, or or just um, you know buying whatever coffee tasted the best on the cupping table. It just seemed like a bizarre way to to move the industry forward. Cause if you're a farmer, if you're in agriculture and this is probably the same for Australian farmers, just as much as it would be coffee farmers in developing countries, you're kind of looking for consistency of, of, um, of, of, of sale. You want customers that you know are going to buy your coffee and who are agreeing to buy your coffee before you've produced it. So there's, you know, less risk in you, you know, putting in the effort. Um, and so we realized that that's what we needed to do. Um, uh, and, and, and from day one, I guess it was a, a series of steps towards doing that more and more. So um, it took us many, many years to be able to do it in a way that we were really proud of and, and, um, and feel that we were actually having an impact and helping. Um, it started actually with some help from um, Marcelo at Minnesil um, who connected us with um, Gabrielle and, um, and Flavia Oliveira, who um, run the Bomb Jesus um, Cafe Laboretto estate. And it's a much bigger business than a lot of the smallholder farmers we enjoy working with now as well. Um, But they actually visited us, our humble little coffee roastery, the first year we'd opened. We'd probably only roasted a a handful of bags of their coffee, Um, but that was our first um, direct partnership that we decided to work with every single year. Um, And they... Um, have been, you know, I guess it's been a great exercise in learning how to do that because they were an established business that made it a lot easier and Marcelo and his team made it really, really, really simple. Um, And so it kind of inspired us to do the same and so now we um, source over 85% of all of the coffee we roast from direct partners, um, which include um, our Ugandan partners, which I'm sure we'll touch on in a second because they're something really special. Um, and then uh, partners in Colombia as well that include the uh, the uh, the ex-World Barista Champion, Diego Campos, um, who was just uh, um, handed his crown over to Anthony Douglas, um, Melbourne boy, which is great. Um uh, and, and we actually partnered with him for his first harvest um, of a farm that he started uh, just before he actually won the WBC. So um, there's some really great people we get involved in. Um, but the challenges were very much learning how to bring coffee in ourselves and do it in an, an economical way um, that matched, I guess, our values and how we wanted to work with farmers and producers.
1: Hmm. So interesting because, yeah, as, as you talk about that chopping and changing, it does make me think about the way a lot of cafes and restaurants like to source produce. You know, it's about these long-term relationships with, you know, the the lettuce farmer or the pig farmer, um, the cheese maker. But it does seem that there is um, a different kind of approach with coffee. And, and naturally, it's Well, maybe not naturally, but I suppose it does have to do with the abstract nature of most of those relationships where it it is a relationship through the actual being and not so much um, most people don't have those relationships with the actual people who are producing them. But I think once you personalise it, then naturally you want to continue those human relationships.
0: Yeah, I think and I think you've hit the nail on the head there. It's really hard to conjure up those relationships because um that it's really hard to talk to someone in a language that you don't speak um (laughs) with a language that they don't speak um from a totally different culture on the other side of the world whose sometimes contact details have been obscured um or you know not made really clear by the people who stand to i guess control the value of the product they're producing so you know a lot of importers aren't going to or aren't going to encourage you to reach out to the farmers, Um, you know, and I think that's changing. Um, But then again, a lot of small business owners, a lot of coffee roasters aren't even interested. If they can get the story, via their importer, you know, in a way that they think their customers will respond to, you know, whether that be a couple of photos and some discussion around the elevation and the climate and the, you know, and the location of the farm and maybe, you know, like a two two sentence, you know, like kind of expose of who the farmer is and what their name is, um, then that's enough. Um, But that actually means nothing. It's just a product. It's not actually... Necessarily doing good. It's not necessarily doing bad, but it's not really creating, you know, like I guess a a crop to cup or like, you know, a farm to table um, sort of um, value chain. And there's just no way of knowing, you know, whether or not it's a good thing that you're participating in. And, And from what I've seen and I've visited many, many coffee origins and coffee farms, is that it's not always a good thing. And in fact, the coffee industry is almost. You know, set up, you know, as an exploitative industry, um, and the fact that most coffee is sold as a commodity means that it's going to be very hard to change that, um, and, and we're not thinking that we can change everything at all, like we're still a really, really small player, <laughs> even in just like the, 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 the small roaster scene, let alone all of coffee, um, so we will rather want to just maybe be, you know, maybe a little example of what you can do if you're prepared to work a little bit harder. Um, but then also, I think this is sort of a recent thing with just the way that we've seen Melbourne—you know—always champion, champion, it's champion itself as being like a beacon of specialty coffee and the best coffee city in the world. Um, and we're just full of shit. Like that's not true at all. Most roasters are just buying spot coffee. And they're just asking – and I know this because i talk to to importing friends. They're, like, always asking, oh, what's the cheapest coffee you've got? What can I chuck in my blend? Uh, and also, can I buy one bag of this really expensive geisha so that I can sell that and, and market that and make it seem like we're really freaking awesome when actually we're just trying to race to the bottom and become the next giant commercial roaster that gets bought out by a beer company or something like that. And, and like, again, there's nothing wrong with that. There's only something wrong with it when you're lying about that, that being your intention. Um, and I think that that's uh, frustrating because it's very hard to get cut through when people are spending more on their marketing budgets than their coffee budgets.
1: So it is really hard to change the massive international coffee industry where it's traded as a commodity on futures exchange. It's, it's, it's huge. So what does Common Folk do in its own small way to, yeah with with direct action to create change
0: um that's a really good question um i think we try and do um a few things um rather than a lot of things just better um and so like, we kind of got this mentality we often talk about it um, of being smaller to be bigger um in the sense that like we know we're not gonna be the biggest roastery in australia but when we do stuff, let's do it really well and let's be really clear about how we do it. Um, so there's sort of two components to that. One is our philosophy of how we operate as a business. Um, we're kind of, you know, we, we, we filter all our decisions through our values and our vision. Um, you know, our, our, our values being, you know, for quality, uh, for people and to be pioneering. Um, and you can kind of unpack those in, in whatever way you like, um, but that kind of gives us a direction of what we need to do um you know and so if we find a really great coffee but it's actually you know bad for people we're probably not going to buy it um you know if we find really get great people to work with but they have terrible coffee um we're probably not going to do it either um and the pioneering aspect very much is around uh, making sure that we're we're leaders and maybe an example um in whatever way we can be but also being 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 humble because the reality is there are so many other people doing great things as well um and we kind of want to collaborate with and, 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 and draw on ideas that, have already, that already exist um, that help us be better. You know, So the idea of being like for profit, but profit being you know financial, social and environmental is not new and there's so many businesses doing it. So we'll look at what they do and try and do those things too. Um, and that materializes into our partnerships model of buying coffee, where I already said so, 85% of our coffee is sourced from people that we buy from every harvest. Um, and we try and find some shared risk there um, in terms of what they need us to pay um, and what we can pay. And, um, you know, it's always a, um, a, a fun experience to try and work through that. Um, and it's actually, you know, recently as coffee prices have skyrocketed, it's actually um, helped give us some stability in price because our farmers typically aren't using the C price or, you know, the price of coffee as a reference instead they're using what they need to sustain themselves um, and to reinvest into their businesses, their price setting model and that helps. Um, but then also we've set up an initiative uh, from day one that we call the Cup that Counts, um, which is essentially about um, uh, helping make our industry fairer for the most vulnerable people involved. So. Um, for us, that's you know the coffee farmers and the pickers and the workers in smallholder operations, um, and then maybe the hospitality workers, you know, the young, um, you know, vulnerable hospital workers at our end, you know, who may be working in cafes and restaurants who work with our coffee, but um, but really, are, you know, open to exploitation um, in their own way. Um, and so we were giving twenty cents from every coffee um, we've ever made um, to that project, um, and then reinvesting it into different projects. So I think to date we've raised almost three hundred grand. Uh, for that, I um, mean, that's gone um, a long way to help set up in Uganda a, a, a coffee producer called Bora Coffee, which um, um, we've worked with in a commercial um, perspective every harvest they've produced as well. So obviously there's a philanthropic um, donation portion of it, but then also, you know, a commercial reality where we'll buy their coffee for a price that works for them. Um, and then uh, probably a little bit closer to home, um, in, a, in a in a state nearby common folk um, that has a bit of government housing and a lot of, I guess, vulnerable at-risk youth. We've um, helped sponsor um, and fund uh, Homeground Cafe, which is a vocational training cafe for hospitality workers. You know, we've got such a massive issue in our city at the moment with um, there being so many, you know, I think hundreds of thousands of vacant hospitality jobs. Um, we figured in our own little way we could help bridge youth unemployment but also hospitality, you know, Uh, staff shortages um, by creating a great space for people who might otherwise not have had a go, um, a little bit of training. Um, And so Commonfolk Folk provides all the coffee for that and then also all of the training. Um, And I'm sitting on the board at the moment as a director um, with some other incredible local people who work in community development. So, um, and again, it sounds like we're doing a lot, but those things are actually almost inherently part of our business anyway. Like there should be some onus on a coffee roastery cafe to train the next generation of staff in my opinion and there definitely should be an onus on a coffee roastery to make sure that they're um reinvesting back into those producing the coffee that they claim to love so much and so that kind of ticks both those boxes and yeah it is a cost um to our business um but i think that it's one that we built into how we operate structurally from the very beginning um and so we almost do it without thinking about it um and and yeah, I guess we're really proud. Our team, our team, um, are constantly talking about how proud they are to work for Common Folk because that's the the structure that we operate to. Um, and they, like, so all of the tips. If you've ever tipped, you know, at one of our cafes, um, they donate that. And this was their decision too, um, very early on, not not mine, to give their tips actually to the cup counts as well, um, which was, um, I thought, incredibly generous.
1: It's a pretty amazing culture that you're creating, Sam, by the, by the sounds of it. And um, just to put people in the picture, you've got the four locations, you've got Mornington where the roastery is, cafes in Frankston, Morris, and South Yarra. I mean, what does it feel like to come into one of your businesses? What are you trying to create for community, for the for the public that come to dine and drink with you? Um-
0: Look, we 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 call ourselves. Well, we call anyone who's part of our community like a Foca. Um, was um, is a bit of a play on our name. Um, it Was very much around um, being uh, making great coffee accessible to everybody. I mean, anyone who's you know who drinks coffee would know that you you go to like a, a big corporate kind of generic brand to get a coffee, and it's going to cost pretty much the same as going to get a coffee from a great specialty cafe, like small business. Um, and so it's actually um weirdly it's sort of an accessible uh luxury product in many ways um and yes there are obviously beans and single origins and that kind of thing that cost a lot more but if you want to go and get a latte from common folk it's going to cost you about the same as getting one from from uh, mcdonald's um which we're kind of proud of um but also maybe that needs to change too um uh, but so we want to welcome people in um with humility and and, and rather than kind of you know, hit them in the face with how amazing we are and all the cool stuff we do, and you know, uh, these really sophisticated and difficult to approach coffees that we offer. Um, we want to meet them where they're at and give them the coffee that they want, um, make it the best bloody coffee they've ever had, and then befriend them um, and, and learn who they are and learn how they fit into the community um, and why they're coming into one of our venues. Um, and once we've built a relationship, maybe um, take them on a journey if they're interested in going on it towards understanding where the coffee comes from and why maybe choosing to drink this coffee is a good idea compared to choosing to drink another one. Um, and so, yeah, you're going to get, um, you're going to be welcomed in. Um, you're going to feel hopefully, um, relaxed. Um, we're not pretentious, um, our spaces we've built ourselves. We haven't gone into a lot of debt. We don't have, you know, multi-million dollar budgets for our fit outs. And so we, we see them as being humble spaces that, that are approachable, um, but still engaging, you know, like we've, partnered with some incredible local artists um you know who've kind of created a whole heap of sort of illustrations that that match our personality um you know our coffee labels and uh, the names we give some of our um, micro lots are are like designed to maybe pique your interest and to be um to, to to make you ask questions um they're not your typical we name this after the farmer every single time um and so hopefully you'll come in and feel um, inspired to ask questions and to, to dig a little bit deeper um, a, about your coffee and where it comes from. Uh, but at the same time, if you just want to come in and have a traditional cafe experience, get your takeaway coffee or sit down and have good brekkie, you can do that too. Um, yeah, they're the sort of spaces. And I, I think it's the team that really make that happen. It's our people um, and, and the fact that they buy into our values. So, um, you know, hopefully you're going to have a quality, people-focused and pioneering experience. <laughs>
1: love it so i mean we might as well ask some huge questions so what do you you know how someone comes in and they perhaps have this engaging experience whether it's like what's a rolex or why did you call this roast that um what do you mean this 20 cents goes where like what what else might happen to a person that starts to consider those things like how in your you know big when you think about the big goals that um you might have like how do you want to make the world better in other ways that's
0: yeah that's a big question um i think i was talking to um to tommy who's our head of production um like so trying to in charge of all the roasting and 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 cold brew and everything like that yesterday around you know why we bother doing all this stuff um and you know, and he said what I think a lot of purpose-led businesses, you know, kind of stand by anyway, which was, well, we'd be doing it. We'd want to do it anyway, even if we didn't talk about it or even if no one knew about it because it's kind of who we are. And so I think that um, we want to remind people and our customers that you can choose to make small decisions like drinking a common folk coffee instead of, you know, insert whatever other coffee you might be drinking. Um and have a direct impact. And so we really want to celebrate, you know, people who choose to give us a go um, uh, for the impact that they're having because like, and, and, and remind them that again, it's that um, smaller to be bigger mentality that a small decision is having a big impact if, especially if they make it over and over again, um, and that they're actually part of this story. Like the coffee farmer, we, ha- we had a, we actually welcomed um, Dave Bishop, who is the um, the project volunteer project manager leading up the Zakuka Bora project in Uganda. He, him and his family moved there from the UK and have been there for almost 10 years now, um, volunteering their time to try and build this up um, to now what is a viable Ugandan owned social enterprise. Um, and, and, and we had a night at Common Folk where people got to ask questions and they were just unpacking, you know, I guess, all of their thoughts around what they'd heard for, you know, the 10 years have been open, um, asking this person who they'd, I guess, only seen in photos or read in blogs about the impact that it's having. Um, and I think people were blown away with the fact that without them, um, none of it would exist. Like Common Folk can't send money over that we haven't made. Um, and I think we just want people to – remember that their small decisions can have a massive impact and that their barista that's handing them their coffee is um, as close to them as the farmer who's picked it off the the coffee tree Um, and that there's no separation in how um, intimate those relationships are. It's just that it's happening thousands of kilometres away in another country that you've probably never been to and probably never will. Um, And so hopefully it's just reminding people of the human connection in all of this. Um, One thing Dave said that really stuck out to me because I think that over my journey, I've moved from being you know, for the coffee person, you know, like someone who's interested in coffee quality and, and and articulating, you know, like sensory experience and wanting the best possible coffees to move towards wanting the best possible humans um, and, and the best for our humans in the process and knowing that actually good coffee is a result of good relationships Um, because all of our partners that we've worked with have improved their quality over the years, even though it's been a human first approach. Um, And so, Um, And I think it's probably similar in a lot of other, you know, sourcing models, even ones in Australia, where if you focus on the people behind the product um, and they have their needs met, they're probably going to have more energy, resources, time and um, passion to invest back into making the products that we enjoy drinking and eating better. And so I think that that's it. If our our customers and the people who want to get involved – Um, if I could pass anything on to them, it would be that they are involved um, and that they're important and that um, these products that they're choosing to support are only going to get better if they stay involved and more connected. Um, and we've seen—I've seen people who were customers who now work for us. Um, and I always I remember at the start, I was always nervous about that because you know you, you, it's that kind of imposter syndrome. You don't want these people who kind of maybe put your business on a bit of a pedestal to come in and realize that you're a bunch of hacks, just you know, blindly, <laughs> you know, blindly, you know, w- walking through and trying to navigate hospitality and food manufacturing industry. But the reality is that's all of us. Um, and so um, we've got people who, who who've come outside of the coffee industry to work with us within the coffee industry just because they've felt that connection and and shared those values. And I think that's testament to what we're doing because, you know, hospitality, as you would know, is not an easy thing to do. And so if we've managed to, you know, convince some suckers to come and join us on this journey and they're still sticking around, um, then that's probably a nice thing. Um, And then the other flip side to that is if you don't want to get involved, you know, (laughs) by actually working with us, um, stay connected. Um, by supporting us um, and then telling the story. So we'll have people who share the story of the cup of counts um, and I guess the Kukabora and the other partnerships we work with um, all over the country now. You know, we've got like partners in, in Korea and in Hong Kong and Singapore, um, in the States, you know, obviously in Uganda who are kind of talking about the work that's been done and choosing to buy those coffees um, that I didn't even realise we knew, who they'd just kind of been picked up along the way um, and, and were inspired by the story and are now kind of champion, championing it themselves, um, you know, on the other side of the world. So I think that that's, um, that's probably a good outcome because um, the more hands on, on deck, the better, because um, we definitely can't do that much ourselves.
1: Well, I suppose it also makes me think, you know, you never, you never know where the ripples are, how far the ripples are going to extend. Um, or who else is going to start, yeah, making a splash about what you do? It's, yeah, but it's, you've got to start somewhere, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Love it, Sam. So um, when I come down to Common Folk, maybe the new Morris location, um, what do you reckon, what sort of coffee do you reckon I should have?
0: Oh, it's a great question. Yeah. Um- so we'll, we run a, uh, you know, a nice kind of like selection of coffees. There'll always be three different coffees on as espresso. So the house blend we're running for all the milk coffees is our Progress Street blend. Named after the street we started our, uh, our headquarters on in Mornington. Um, and it's going to be um, showcasing, I think at the moment, um, one of Diego Campos's incredible coffees, um, La Familia, which is his kind of collaboration with his um, his uh, parents-in-law, Um And uh, it will be blended with some of our washed Tsukuka Bora coffee. So that's our Ugandan partnership. Um, And then also, uh, I think at the moment, um, and it may have just changed actually, so the roastery guys are going to maybe listen to this and be like, Sammy, what are you talking about? Uh, But maybe a Nicaraguan coffee source from Caravella, um, which is making up a small component of that. Um, So that's always good. If you're going to have like a flat white or a latte, I I say start a Progress Street because it's a great coffee. Um, But if you want to try something uniquely common folk, um, you could dive into either our single origin coffee, which will probably be sourced from um, one of Zukuka Bora or Diego Campos's micro lots at the moment, Um we're about to welcome in um, some of Alias Rojas, which is Diego's father-in-law's um, micro lots. They should be arriving in the next couple of weeks. Some very, very exciting coffees there, which we can't wait to get our hands on. Um, or you could try our seasonal blend, which is uh, you know a little, a very relevant at the moment. It's called Goosebumps, and it's kind of a Halloween-themed. Um, and it's actually just two of our Ugandan coffees blended so a washed and a natural um, it's good fun, uh, goes well with milk but also without, um, or grab a bottomless batch brew of um, any of the single origins we think uh, um, hold up well for filter um, and then just keep refilling your cup until you've got your buzz on, um, that'd be my suggestions but also just chat to the baristas chat to Lily, chat to Lauren um, Casey, any of the crew that are working um, and just ask them what's tasting good because you know coffee is, as you would know, an agricultural product um, and even once it's roasted every day brings us different challenges and a cup that tasted great a week earlier might you know taste not quite the same as you'd expect this week and so it's good to get a bit insight a little bit of insight into that um and drink what the baristas are drinking
1: wow sam well thank you so much for making us all focus today with this chat it's really awesome to learn more about common folk and yeah all the great things that you do really appreciate you sharing with the dirty linen crowd today
0: Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, thank you for listening to my rants. <laughs> um, and yeah, like hopefully we can just keep drinking good coffee that um, uh, that's doing good work as well. Um, and and look, you know we're we're not um, the only company doing incredible things. Um, but you know like if you just dig a little bit deeper, you can really find out um, ways to ha- make a, a big impact by making small decisions like where to drink your coffee. so um yeah, get out there and uh, and enjoy finding some uh, some gems. It's a, it's a, it's a great it's a great place to be. <laughs>
1: yeah, love it Sam. Thanks so much.
0: Cheers Danny, thank you.
1: This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Valant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirty linen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.
0: Peace.